Well, you know when you found it. Sometimes it takes years to discover. Other times you stumble on it your first time in a new neighborhood. Some of you want to share the success of victory with everyone you know, and then others of you think that it's your job to keep the community secret forever. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about the trick-or-treat Taj Mahal, the candy bar capital, the Butterfinger building, that house on your street, the one that gives out the giant-sized candy bars, the best candy house on the block. Uh, you'll know that you found the best candy house on the block because they're also the ones that have the best decorations. I'm not saying it's the scariest house in the neighborhood, but when you walk up on it, they've got a lot more than just a couple of jack-o'-lanterns on the front porch, which is what I have on my front porch, by the way. Uh, they have it really decked out. It looks great. Uh, and so as your kids, you can also tell that you have the right house as well because the best candy house has all the kids in the neighborhood are running up on the yard in the grass. And then they come back from the front door and they are skipping and they are hopping and they are jumping down the sidewalk. And they are holding up that giant-sized crunched bar in the air like they just won the Wimbledon trophy. And then they kiss it and they say, this is the house. This is the one. Now, if you haven't found it yet, there's a few things that you can do. If you are a family like ours and you've got older kids, uh, you send your older kids out on a reconnaissance mission to figure out uh, what's going on. Find out what the other kids in the neighborhood are saying. Find out, uh, ask them, where are you getting the best pirate candy booty? Uh, this can be intimidating for sure, for particularly for an older kid talking and, and, and introducing themselves to a younger kid and that type of thing. Uh, but if you've got a pillowcase full of king-sized candy bars at the end of the night. All of that is worth it. And maybe you'll even find some new friends. If that's not in it for you, maybe that idea is too much, there's still help available for those of you who are technologically savvy. Uh, there are now numerous apps out there. If you don't realize this, there are a ridiculous number of apps that are out there so that you can find out where the best rating is for the best house to get the best candy on your block. But you wouldn't want to do that, would you? That would take all the fun out of it. Now, before you, actually, I see some of you reaching for your phones right now to find the app. Just hold on a second, all right? You'll get there in a little bit. I want to tap something into your brain. I want to kind of get into your heads here this morning. Why bring this up? Why talk about this here? Isn't it just a distraction for our time here together? Well, maybe it is, but we do have our kids in the service here this morning. What I want to do here is try to lock something into your brains this morning, give you a memory tool that once it locks in, it's actually going to stay there. So that when later this evening, when you're going out and you're walking through your neighborhood and you're trick-or-treating, that you'll remember what I had to say this morning, maybe not just once or twice, but maybe five, ten, even a hundred times, you'll remember what I had to say here this morning. That would be pretty cool, right? So let's see if we can do that. My name is Pastor Milo. If I haven't met you yet, watching online here uh, this morning. Today I want to take you down a very easy journey, a familiar path, on a familiar place, on a familiar text. So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, will you open up this morning to Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. Again, if you're watching at home or if you're with us for the first time, you came this morning to see your kids in the service, uh, things do feel a little bit different around here this morning. As Brian said earlier, we call Fifth Sunday around here, we call it Fifth Sunday is 
family Sundays. When there's five Sundays in a month, we invite our kids to be part of our worship gathering. And so our kids join us. They help us lead the worship. They help us run the slides. They help us greet people at the doors. There's a lot of different things that we are doing this morning because uh, there's something that's unique about our church, maybe, but, but unique in the fact that churches as a whole are maybe the only place in a community where you've got kids uh, uh, joining together with adults. So you've got this wide range of people coming together, and actually those kids are being discipled, being brought up to be leaders in the church. And so the very people who are on the stage here this morning, those are going to be our missionaries. Those are going to be our deacons, our elders, our pastors. And that's all happening here this morning, and we want to be able to celebrate that. So each week when we come together, we want you to bring your Bible. We want you to bring something to write on and bring something to write with. And this week is no different. And so your parents are here to help you. Hopefully you've got your Bibles open. There's Bibles here in the pews as well. If you're using the digital version, I'll be in the New International Version here this morning. So Matthew chapter 7, we had better get moving. Let's get started. Matthew chapter 7. Let's begin in verse 9. This is what verse 9 says. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Let me start out by saying this, making this point to start things off this morning. The Heavenly Father gives good gifts. The Heavenly Father gives good gifts. Now, like I said, I want this to be a memory tool for you today. So when you come up on a house tonight, as you're walking through the neighborhood, and you come up on a house that gives good candy bars, that you actually remember where we were going at with this, that the Heavenly Father gives good gifts for those who ask. But let's be clear. clear. When Jesus is gathering around with his disciples here, he is most definitely not talking about going out into the neighborhood trick-or-treating and figuring out who gives the best candy bars in the neighborhood. Jesus is not talking about that at all. But you'd have to admit, it would be kind of a funny image if you think about it for just kind of a second. Like, can you imagine Jesus and the rest of the disciples making their way through your neighborhood dressed in the, the robes and the cloaks they had of their day and their long hair and their beards rushing around with their orange buckets to see if they can fill it up with candy? That's a little bit weird, right? But that's not what Jesus is talking about here at all. Jesus is in the middle of a sermon called the Sermon on the mount. And kids, that's exactly what it is. It's a sermon that was preached on a mountain. That's basically why it's called that. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And if you have a red letter Bible like I do, all that means is that this Bible, uh, every time that Jesus speaks, uh, his words are changed. They change the font color so I can tell, okay, this is Jesus actually speaking when he says that. And if you look in this part of the Bible, it's all red on all the pages because Jesus is speaking for a significant amount of time without anybody else uh, putting any words in otherwise. And so this whole sermon is coming across. Jesus is sharing this entire sermon himself, and so we're hearing the word of God spoken from his son, Jesus, directly to us. And Jesus says here that his heavenly Father wants to give good gifts to those who ask. What he's talking about here is prayer. The heavenly Father gives good gifts to those who pray and ask him for it. 
Specifically in this story, those of you who've been here with us, but kids, I want to catch you up so you know where we're at as well. Uh, he's teaching his disciples. One of his disciples says, well, how is it that we're supposed to pray? And he teaches his disciples how to pray, and he starts like this, our Father who art in heaven. That should sound familiar to many of you. And so it starts like that, our Father who art in heaven, and he teaches them how to pray. And we talked about that a few weeks back. And then Jesus teaches a few more things before he gets to this passage, where, where we should store up our treasures, or what we should do to keep ourselves from being worried and full of anxiety. But because we had kids here in the service this morning, I jumped ahead a few verses. I wanted to be able to share this passage with you about receiving good gifts. So Jesus says that his heavenly Father wants to give good gifts to those who ask him. It seems like a pretty big deal, right? Basically, he's saying, just ask. Just ask, and we can have whatever we want, right? Well, no, (laughs) that's not right at all. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching us about prayer. Not what we can get if we want, everything that we want, if we ask the Heavenly Father for it, as if he was like a genie in a lamp that we could ask for three wishes and get our three wishes from God, and he would have to give us exactly what we want. No, 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 that's not what's going on here. See, prayer is less about getting what we want and more about releasing what God's will is here on earth as it is in heaven. That should sound familiar to you. It's less about us getting what we want and more about him releasing his will here on earth as it is in heaven. And now because we live in a culture that is an over-the-counter type of culture, a culture where we microwave everything and we we get instant gratification as quick as we possibly can, we throw money at our problems thinking that that's going to solve this thing. This is the kind of society that we live in today. We tend to to read this differently at first glance than, than Jesus' listeners when they heard him first say it when he shared these words with him. See, we read these words and we assume that these words are all about us. The Heavenly Father wants to give good gifts to those who ask. We say, wow, I guess that God really wants to give us stuff. But that really isn't what the text is about at all. It's not about us. It's 100% about God. And how we're going to pray to our loving Heavenly Father. You see, oftentimes we think that that our goal in praying is actually trying to get God to change the story somehow. That if we pray, that we will be able to change God's mind or change the narrative. You could say that our goal in praying is to change the heart or change the mind of God. But that's that's not right at all. You see, prayer doesn't change God. It changes you. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes you. In fact, that little nugget about prayer is just as important for you and I to digest as getting what you want at the end of the day. The fact is, it's going to prepare you in case you don't get what you want. And it gets you to want different things at the end of the day. Jesus says something to to this degree. He says, if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, would you give him a stone or a rock that looks like bread? Or or if he were to ask you for a fish, and and he said, will you please give me a fish? And, And the father says, well, here is a venomous eel instead of a fish. 
which in our context, we don't quite understand because most of you kids, parents, you would agree, most of you kids don't like fish. And so you're like, well, I don't want a fish. Maybe fish sticks, but I don't want fish, right? And, 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 but if you think about it here, really in the context of what's being said here, even the Jews themselves, they would not be allowed to eat an eel. And so the idea that they're asking for fish, something that they would want and be given an eel, yuck, by the way, who wants to eat an eel, that's, that's awful. Like, I can't even imagine doing that. Anyway, Jesus said, you guys, and he's talking to the people in front of me, he said, you guys, even though you are evil, he calls them, you're like wicked people, he says, compared to a holy God. And God, whose love is so perfect and so just, he's so just and so right in everything that he does, won't he give his children, he says, who he loves and who he cares for. Would he not give them bread if they asked for bread? Wouldn't he give them a fish if that's what they ask for? See, Jesus is actually making it very simple. He said, God is not going to ruthlessly and meanly tease you by by handing you a plastic Frisbee when you ask for a pancake. He's not going to do that to you. He's not going to, when you ask for a bowl of salad, fill your bowl of salad. He's not going to do that. He's not going to fill it with poison ivy, which is a terrible word picture, by the way. Can you imagine eating a bowl of poison ivy? That's as bad as eating an electric eel. It's terrible. No, what does Jesus want to do? Our Heavenly Father says that, Jesus says our Heavenly Father wants to give you what you ask because he loves you. So what does Jesus tell us to do? Well, go back a couple of verses. If you're in verse 9, I want you to go back up. Verse 7, this is our main passage today. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open unto you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. Ask and you'll receive. Seek you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. But taken out of context, the verse 7 and 8, the two verses I just read, the main priority for us today, this looks like it is the ultimate blank check for believers. That we can ask anything that we want. In the improper context, it would seem like we, we could do anything that we want and ask for it and God will give it to us simply because we ask for it. But as I just shared with you, this is not the case. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes you. Prayer changes you. Ask, seek, knock. Or if I'm a little bit more accurate, the way that these words are actually being used, it would be keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Because prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes you. What's being characterized here is is a life of prayer that's continual, a prayer life that is steady and focused, a prayer life that is consistent, a prayer life that is heartfelt, a prayer life that pursues after God's heart and desires a relationship with Him. Does that describe your prayer life right now? Is that the way your prayer life looks when you approach the throne room of God? Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes you. So then what is the basis then of these verses that are being shared here? What is it? Just ask because the Father gives good 
gifts, it tells us. Just ask. The way to remember is the apostrophes A-S-K. Just ask. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. We just sung the words a few minutes ago in our kids' song. They did a good job with it, but I want to use that exact framework to, to take us forward together. When you ask, he cares. When you seek, he's there. When you knock, 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 God opens the door. You see, this gets to the foundational truth about God. You ask, he cares. You seek, he's there. You knock, and he opens the door. Our heavenly Father, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke of his words and all the galaxies formed under that command, the one who breathed life into the nostrils of humankind, and just his breath, everything started. This heavenly Father, this heavenly Father says, ask me whatever you want. He says, when you pray, I'm interested in hearing from you. I'm not too busy for you. I'm not bored by you. I'm not distracted by other things. Just ask me. I care about you. I'm listening to you. I love you. Ask, he cares. Seek, he's there. Our Heavenly Father, even though you cannot see him, you cannot touch him. You cannot use your natural five senses in any stretch of the imagination to be able to come into contact with him, to come across him. That heavenly father says, seek me and you will find me. Pursue me, he says, and I will make myself known to you. Run hard after me, he says. Search my ways. Trust in me rather than trusting in your own intellect, in your own understanding. What's he say? I will make your crooked paths straight. Seek me and I will be a light that guides your path. I'm waiting for you, he says. Come and find me. Ask, he cares. Seek, he's there. Knock. He opens the door. Our Heavenly Father, the one who parted the Red Sea in front of Moses. Our Heavenly Father, the one who called, caused the walls of Jericho to fall down in front of Joshua. The one who, who made David's stone sink deep into the forehead of Goliath. The one who swept the prophet Elijah up, swept him up into the clouds and chariots of fire. That Heavenly Father, he says, knock on the door and I'll invite you to come inside. He says, I'm a holy God, and I cannot tolerate sin, yet I want you, humankind, sinful and broken, you wretched people, I want you to be close to me. Knock on the door, and I will invite you in. So these are the foundational truths about God, the solid bedrock truth that Jesus is sharing here about our heavenly Father. But do you know what? Do you know what happens, friends? We actually don't believe these foundational truths. Young or old, we are deceived by these lies. They look like this. Don't ask God. God doesn't care. Don't seek God. God isn't there. Don't bother knocking because God's not going to respond. He's not coming to the door. 
You see, the enemy would have us believe that prayer is a total waste of time. That God would certainly have his plate full managing the galaxies of the universe. Uh, He'd be concerned about the, the power of the sun beginning to reduce year after year. That he would have to be focused on that. Or the phases of the moon, or the rising sea levels. He would be concerned with those things, or, or he would have, have the heart, have the ideas that he needs to, to get across to nation builders to make sure that they are on the right page. Or in the same way, he would need to protect us from nation destroyers, that that's where God's time lies. That's where his focus is, and that's where those situations is where he would put all of his energy, and he doesn't have time for your little insignificant problem. He doesn't care about you. Don't ask. He doesn't care. Don't seek God. God isn't even there. You see, the enemy would have us believe that prayer is a waste of time, that God doesn't exist at all. That this is just a made-up concept that humans have come up with and constructed in their minds so that we can deal with the hard things of this life and the things that we've seen happen throughout history that, that helps us deal with that so we don't have to blame ourselves. We can blame someone else for the awful things that happen or the awful ways that people treat each other. And so we have a place of comfort to go when there are natural disasters, unexplainable weather events, terrible crimes that are committed, or sicknesses that happen to people. We have a place of comfort that we go to, but we've created it ourselves, is what the enemy tells us. If you'd have us believe this is all made up, that God doesn't exist. He's not there. So don't ask God. He doesn't care. Don't seek him. Don't spend time looking for God, because he's not there. Or don't bother knocking, because God won't respond. He's not coming. The enemy would have us believe that prayer is a total waste of time. If God does exist, and if he's really up there somewhere, he's so far away, and he's so distant, that we don't have any way that we could possibly reach him. You're not going to send him a telegram. You're not going to send him uh, mail. You're not going to call him on the phone. You can't message him. You can't beam your questions to him in any way. He's too far away. He's unreachable. And the enemy would have us believe that if God does exist, that the lines of communications are jammed. They've been cut. They're not there anymore. And we're cut off from him. So don't bother knocking because he's not coming to the door. Friends, nothing could be further from the truth. The enemy who is the author of deception, he's the fabricator of lies. Now, this is exactly what the serpent began doing back in the Garden of Eden with with Adam and with Eve, and that's how he still functions today. Jesus wants us to know the truth, that the Heavenly Father wants to give good gifts to his children. So keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Because prayer doesn't change God, prayer changes you. 
And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with a heavenly father, you don't know that you could call yourself a child of God. Did you know that prayer changes that? That prayer changes that relationship as well. A prayer to do what? To ask God. To ask God if you can receive the gift that he has given you. You might be here this morning and you're an adult and you've spent your whole life to this point searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for answers to questions that you realize you don't even know how to ask those questions, how to put them into words. Or maybe you're one of the kids that are in the service here this morning. And you've just decided that somewhere along the way, God must be so big and so important that he doesn't have time for you. He doesn't have time for your little problems. Listen closely, friends. I want to tell you something that has the power to change your life. No matter how small, no matter how insignificant or little you might feel, the purpose that you've been looking for, the meaning that you've been looking for, the completion to every hole, particularly adults, every hole that we try to fill in our lives that Jesus was meant to fill, that the Heavenly Father has made a way, it can all be found in relationship with Jesus. If that's you today, I want you to know that the Heavenly Father has made a way for you, that the door is open for there to be a relationship with Him. Jesus here is talking about the relationship that is between us and the Heavenly Father. Do you know how that door was opened? Do you know how, how that uh, communication line was created? How that veil was torn between heaven and earth that separated man and God. Jesus gave himself as the perfect sacrifice in order to make this possible. He went to the cross for me and for you. As he is sitting there with his disciples, he is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he knows that he is going to make a way to make all of this possible so that you could have a relationship with God, so that you could be a part, so that you could be called a child of the Heavenly Father. And to come into a relationship with him, you don't have to do anything. Anything is except, except the gift that he has offered to you. It's a good gift from the Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father wants to give good gifts. He's already done the work, and all you have to do is ask and accept the gift that he offers you. If you're here this morning and you want to start that journey, let's do this with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you want to start that journey, all it takes is a prayer that sounds like this. Heavenly Father, thank you for making a way for me. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. Forgive me for every mistake that I have ever made. I believe in you, and I want to pursue you with all that I am. I want to search hard after you for the rest of my life. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you are here, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family table. Today is a response to God's word. We're going to do something. We're going to participate in a time of communion together, a communion meal together. My friend, and many of you know him, Keith Tyson is going to come forward, and the band is going to come forward. We're going to lead in this special time. 
and lead us through a communion family meal together. He's also going to share with us a unique fact that has to do with how things come together for communion on this special day. But before he comes, I want to remind you of this. Tonight when you go out on that sidewalk, tonight when you go for the best candy house, the best candy bar you can possibly find, I want you to remember over and over, each time you turn and you walk up that sidewalk, and you come up the front steps, remember this, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. So keep asking, keep seeking, keep knock, 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 knocking. God loves you, and he loves giving good gifts, and he will always, always, Always open the door.